in one of those ironic realities, and there are several of them in the story of Jesus uh, going to the cross and dying and being raised to life. But in one of those ironies, the, the word that people called out as Jesus was coming into town on that Palm Sunday as they laid their palm branches down and cried out, the word they were crying out was Hosanna, which means save. Save us. The Lord saves. Hosanna. It was the right thing. And that's exactly what he came to do. They just didn't understand it. Um, And yet they had it right. And so that can be uh, our word of assurance here today. We gather together today and really every Sunday crying out to God, save. Um, We're in process of being saved. There's a whole lot in my life I still need to be saved from. Um, I imagine the same is true for you. The capital S, save, is taken care of. We are going to heaven because of Jesus. We're not going to earn it and we can't lose it. Um, Jesus has secured that for us by his completed work and by our faith as a mustard seed in him. Not perfect faith, just enough. We are saved. Yet there are still things in our lives that aren't what they should be. And so we cry out with our prayers of confession, which is a regular part of our worship, save. And Jesus does, he has, and he is doing that very thing. Hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen? Amen. So we're wrapping up our, our study together on Sunday mornings through the uh, books of First and Second Thessalonians. Today's the last one, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We have been um, looking at these books under the, under the theme, the heading of assurance, that through his letters to his friends in Thessalonica, Paul uh, especially is trying to um, help them to be assured, assured that, that their faith is real and genuine, Uh, that they are safe and secure in Christ despite all of the the things that are going on around them, the dangers, the uncertainties of life around them, to assure them that they're on the right track and they should keep going in this um, way of life that Paul has commended to them, living uh, in partnership with, living in relationship with Jesus Christ, um, heading toward heaven. He's writing to assure them of these things. Let me assure you. That's a phrase that we probably have heard before. Um, you've probably heard it a number of times. It's a, it's a favorite phrase of salesmen and politicians, is it not? You know, the, your friendly neighborhood politician. Let me assure you. And that, that's probably in a lot of political speeches, isn't it? My fellow Americans, let me assure you. Or the person that knocks on your door. This product, let me assure you. Well, he wants you to be confident in what he is saying. To believe him. To trust in him. To buy what he is selling. To belong to his camp. To endorse his policies. To follow his lead. To do his will. Now, a good preacher stands before you, I would suggest, and says something very similar, but quite different. And it is this. Let God assure you. He wants you to be confident in what, in what God has said. To believe God, to trust in Him, to belong to His family, to obey His commands, to follow His way, to do His will. 
Here's the problem. Is it God or me? Is it my imagination, my wishes, my fears that is speaking to me? Is it God truly assuring me? Or is it me falsely assuring myself? This is a basic and real issue in this fallen, alienated world that we live in. Who is the real God? Either God is God, or I am God, making up my own gods. And I can't prove, I can't tell for sure which it is. I can only believe which it is. And by the way, that I can only believe, listen carefully, that I can only believe which it is works in both directions. God is God. And I am not. That is a statement of faith. Folks, let's just get real here. I'm the only God I've got. That is a statement of faith. Make no mistake. In our culture, that way of looking at things is presented as just being real. No, it's not. It is a statement of faith. You can't prove that any more than you can prove that the living God of the Bible is God. So you choose what you want to believe in. That's where we are. That's what we've got. That's the problem in this broken, alienated, fallen world that we live in. Either God is God or I am God. Now let me share with you something else. There is no such confusion of identity between me and my wife. I don't think I am she. She talks to me. She bumps into me. She argues with me. She tells me when I'm about to miss the next freeway off-ramp, which happens more frequently nowadays. And we are told... Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's the way it is. And we are told that it was like this with us and God in Eden before the great fall and resultant expulsion from paradise. We're bumping into God. There was no confusion. God was God. There he is. But for us on this side of the garden, this confusion, disorientation, alienation runs deep. When God did reappear in a breakthrough, relatable, present-in-the-flesh form, Jesus, riding into town on a donkey amid shouts of, Save us! Hosanna! and the shower of palm branches, people still couldn't tell. He came to save and they rejected him. They called him names. They crucified him. And thus, he saved. He worked our confusion, disorientation, alienation into his plan. Magnificent. Let me uh, share with you a line from yesterday's 
devotional from Susie Romans. Thank you very much, Susie. I didn't ask permission. Is it okay if I share this? I mean, you wrote it. It's in people's hands, so all right. But she said this. Through all of this, our Lord stood concussed, bruised, and bleeding, but faithfully determined in the face of what was yet to come. Having wept in agony the night before in communion with his father, he was a pillar of steely resolve, letting nothing come between him and the cross or the redemption of his children. Jesus worked our confusion, disorientation, alienation into his plan. Magnificent. So here's the solution for our who is God problem. You ready? God. I know, it seems like that's just pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Circular reasoning, whatever. But it is the truth. The solution to our who is God problem is God. God is God. That reality behind and beyond all others, that still small voice that all of our shouting simply cannot drown out, it is God. God is real. God is with us. And God helps us. God enables us to overcome our confusion and disorientation and alienation. God fuels and informs our faith. God works for us whether or not we see it. Let me give you an example. Jesus dies for us, effects our salvation, quote, while we were yet sinners. That's Romans 5a. When we were dead, not sick, not disabled, when we were dead, he made us alive. That's Ephesians 2.5. So listen to your preacher today. Let God assure you. I am confident it is well within his skill set to do so. God can assure you of his presence, power, truth, and love through Paul's two letters to the first century Christians in the city of Thessalonica. First and second Thessalonians, which we wrap up looking at together here today, as I mentioned. God can, God will assure you in your faith, in your belief, in your trust in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul believed, trusted, had faith that God would provide. The Lord would establish his friends and guard them against all evil. The apostle had a sense of assurance concerning his fellow believers and their ongoing work. He had what I'm calling for today, workman's comp assurance. And Paul's assurance was much more than wishful thinking. For his confident assurance was not rooted in the Thessalonians themselves or in his own skills and talents. His confidence was in the Lord. And Paul suggested that the message from God that would engender such trust and assurance and establish and guard his people was what truly mattered. More than his own ministry. More than his own life. And he asked his friends to pray that it would continue to speed along and to be received with due honor by others as it had been by his Thessalonian friends. 
And the gospel message has sped along, hasn't it? Across the miles and through the centuries, here it is today. I believe, I trust, I have faith that God will provide the assurance we need. In fact, I think he is doing so right now. Let's look together at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Hear the word of God. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how, we ought to, uh, how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you once again for your presence with us and we ask that you would help us to see today what it is that you have for us to see. Lord, that we would respond in faith and that we would continue in faith in our partnership with you by the way we live out there in the world every day. May you be honored and glorified as you build us up into your people. And we pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen. So here at the end of the Thessalonian letters, what is Paul, our divinely inspired author, assuring his friends of? I would suggest three basic things. The sure progress of God's word, their sure place with Christ, and their sure work with and for Christ. The progress of God's word is assured. Here's what Paul says at the outset of this chapter. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. 
Note, once again, that it is the message rather than the messenger that Paul wants to see speeding ahead and being honored. And how is this message of Jesus to be honored? By being heard and received. By being believed on for salvation. So this message must be honored to the eternal benefit of the one choosing to honor it. This, Paul says, is what happened in Thessalonica, despite pressure to do the opposite with those to whom he writes. As I like to do at times, I I looked at some of these words that we find here, and, and one I found rather fascinating. This word for speed ahead in Greek is the word treke, from which... I I actually did not draw this line completely. And you run into trouble when you start playing with etymology, which is where words come from. But I can't help but believe that this treke word, speed ahead, led to our word in English, trek, right? Which eventually led to the word trekkie, which I don't know is actually a word. But it did make me think along those lines, word trek, gospel trek, human hearts the final frontier. This is the voyage of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's multi-year mission to unveil the real new world, to seek to bring new life and new salvation, to boldly go where every man has been before. Sorry, I couldn't help that. Gospel trek. This is what Paul's talking about. 2,000 years later, here we are. Gospel is still... Making its trek, isn't it? Paul wants the the Thessalonian reception for God's word to be duplicated elsewhere. Does he have reason to hope for this? Well, there's an against side. Against this hope is, well, what Paul says. People don't all have faith. Many don't believe and don't want to believe. I mean, he did get kicked out of that city, remember? On the other side, the for side... Paul says, is the Lord is faithful. God is faithful to accomplish His work, to gather in all of His people, to save all who will hear the truth of what He has done for them by His grace and put their trust in Him. People without faith, people who choose evil and wickedness versus the faithful God. Hmm... Which side are you betting on? And and let me hasten to add here, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, on this bet, every single person is all in. Wicked people in opposition to God, a world bent against Him, the faithfulness of the living God. Which side are you betting on? Here we are, 6,423 miles away. It's amazing what you can find out on the internet. That's how far we are in Reno, Nevada, from Thessalonica, which is now called Salonica, in Greece, as the crow flies. 6,423 miles away, and something like 1,970 years later. And God's word is still going out. And people are still responding in faith to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
People are being called from death to life. People's lives are being changed in ways that other people can clearly see. Gospel trek. The believer's place is assured. Our position in the cosmos, our position in relationship to God is assured, and it's with Jesus. Now, there are other passages that actually lock this down better for us than this chapter here, but Paul clearly points in this direction as well. Our position is with Jesus, and it is secure. Be assured. Verse 5, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We can count on His faithfulness. It's a secure position. Why? Paul's confidence is in the right place. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the living God. He is the one who makes His people secure. Verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Here's the way F.F. Bruce says it in his Thessalonians commentary. Whether the apostles request prayer for themselves or pray for their converts, their confidence is firmly founded in the supreme hearer of prayer. The Lord is faithful. The Thessalonians were established and guarded by Jesus Christ himself. They didn't need and we don't need to trust vainly in ourselves. It is the faithfulness of God that matters. It stands over and empowers our own faithfulness. When we are faithful, it is a beautiful expression of God's eternal faithfulness. And when we are unfaithful, God is faithful still and will call us back to life and health and wholeness by calling us back to himself. And I know that many of you, most of you, maybe all of you, know this to be true. For all of us, get in line behind me, friends, all of us have at one time or another, one level or another, turned away from God and chosen our own way. Said, nope, we want this more. We know what's right, but we're going to do this anyway. We know this isn't really what God would have us do. Yeah, it's maybe dishonoring God, but right now I simply don't care. I speak for myself. I probably speak for some of you as well, yes? And still, even then, God was faithful. How do we know? Here we are. Here we are. It is the sure goodness and power of Jesus Christ for us that makes us secure. And the believer's work is assured. This is, again, what I'm calling workman's competence assurance. Workman's comp assurance. Here at the end, Paul once again addresses this issue of idleness. It's very interesting. He addressed the same issue. It's a theme also in 1 Thessalonians, the the letter that he wrote several months before, probably. Problem of idleness. He addresses it in 1 Thessalonians. He addresses it again in 2 Thessalonians. What does that tell us? Uh, His original words of advice, wisdom, command didn't take. So he's addressing them again. 
actually in that, when we have these two letters and we can compare the two and we see him saying the same thing, addressing the same issue, frankly, I think there's a wonderful message in that. It's not the, it's not the main point of our message today, but I think it's worth commenting on. It was true. It was good. It was what God wanted him to say. It's the inspired word of God. He told the people. And they didn't do it. Wow. How unusual. Good advice. True advice. The right word at the right time. And people didn't do it. Aren't you glad that we have progressed as a people past all of that? Right. But, and, and, but, here's, but here's the punchline. Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into town. People didn't get him. Didn't matter. He was still going to do his work. And his work wasn't to be the next greatest or the greatest ever teacher of what is really true and really right and really healthy. He wasn't the guy that brought the new set of rules that really would finally get people to say, now those are good rules. Let's do those. Right? He wasn't the guy that came with the old rules and just said it in a way that finally got people's attention and people finally did it. Nope. Oh, he did all of that. Great wisdom. Read the Gospels. Jesus, you're not going to find better wisdom than that for how to live. But Jesus didn't come to be another giver of a good law for us all to ignore or rebel against, which is what we would do. Jesus came to save us. He came to die for us. And he accomplished his work. Good news. Problem of idleness. Jesus is coming back. Count on it, but this is not an excuse for us to be lazy. In their day, they thought he was coming back pretty soon, so you maybe have a little bit more sympathy. What's the point of going to work? Jesus may be coming back tomorrow. There have been 2,000 years of tomorrow since then. And even then, he's saying, that's not an excuse. Work rather than be an unnecessary burden to others. Work in accordance with God's purposes in his world, with the gifts and abilities he has given you, and with the unique calling he has placed upon your life. Be at work. What else are you going to do? It really is better, it really is more fulfilling than sitting at home and watching television. They didn't have television back then. They had something else. I don't know what. Working. A little sweat now and then for good purposes really is more fun. It's more fulfilling. We are invited into breathtaking partnership with God in His eternal redemptive work. We are not invited to sit idly waiting for Jesus to show up and fix everything. He will. But He'd like us to be working in partnership with Him between now and then. Why not? And the glory of faithful hard work with and for Christ, verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command, Paul said. He was saying it to the Thessalonians. He could be saying it to us today. He is. Once again, Paul's wise confidence is ultimately in the Lord rather than in the strength, wisdom, and good intentions of his Thessalonian friends. The work that God has for them, he will help them to accomplish. F.F. Bruce again. 
to exhort his people to do the things that belong to Christian living is no fruitless exercise because it is the Lord who enables them to do so. In prayer and exhortation alike, the apostles' confidence is in the Lord. Here is an important principle for all of us who have heard and responded in faith to the call to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What our God calls us to, He empowers us for. God never says to us, in effect, go get him, tiger. Hope you can do it. Report back to me when, when you've succeeded or failed. That never happens with God. It's always, this is the work I have for you to do. I will be with you. We will do it together. And it will get done. Stick with me. Our competence for any and every good work God sets before us is assured. Not that we can do anything we want to do or accomplish everything we think we ought to do, but that whatever God, according to the mystery of His will, for His eternal purposes and by His mighty power, has for us to accomplish, we will accomplish. You believe that? It's hard to believe. It's pretty easy to believe in here when it's a statement and it's a preacher standing in front of you and he's read his Bible and he's done some research. So, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. It's a whole lot different ballgame when you're out there and you're being called to do something that's challenging, that's difficult, and you're really not sure how it's going to come out. What God calls us to, he empowers us for. If God's calling... It's the right thing to do, and it will accomplish His purposes. You may not even know what all those purposes are. That's okay. He does. Workman's comp assurance. We all have it. All of us who've put our trust in Jesus Christ. So, let me wrap it up. God's Word has gone forth. It has sped along all the way to us. And so, by God's word, we have assurance. Our place with Jesus Christ, our position in relationship to God now and forever, assured. Our work for Him, assured. So, Faith and courage, friends. We cannot lose our place. No one can remove us from out of God's hand. It's God's grip on us, not our grip on Him. And there is no strength greater than the hand of God. Faith and courage, friends. So let us give our all to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what? We cannot fail. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the challenge of your word. Thank you for the invitation to a life that matters. But even as it matters, a life that is absolutely secure in all the ways that are important. A life that is full of all the energy, all the time, all the ability that is needed to do the things that we're here to do. For all of it is from you and in you. And the power that we need is a power that you have promised as we simply walk with you by faith. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to know the joy and the assurance of this partnership with you. And that we would know it not just by our thinking and our believing, but that we would know it also by our experience. Because you're calling and we are responding. And it's hard, it's scary, it's difficult, and we are opposed. But you protect us from all evil. And you establish us. And you empower us. And you are God. We pray these things in your name and for your sake.